We are continuing in our series in John's Gospel. And if you would turn to John chapter 12. We began that last week and we will continue in 12 this week. This passage that we're reading about the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem as the Passion Week begins, as the week of Passover begins, as the week begins of the last six days of his life, it is the most significant event. It is the only event that appears in all four Gospels. And it's the event that we'll be studying this morning. So if you would, look at verse 12 in John 12. And read along with me to verse 19. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion! Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing? Look, the world has gone after him. Father, we we are grateful for your written word. Lord, we're grateful that you have left us this account and these accounts, these pages of Scripture to speak to us. And Lord, that is what we are looking for and asking for this morning, that you would speak to us through your word and that we would have ears to hear. Father, we position ourselves, we posture ourselves this morning to hear you speak. And Lord, as you speak, may we learn and may we gain new and fresh insights into who you are, into your character, into your majesty, Lord, that we may further worship you. Lord, I, I pray for Grace Church this morning that you would help them be good listeners of your word this morning. And Lord, to help me this morning to speak and proclaim this truth accurately and in such a manner that everyone looks to you when we're done. In Jesus' name, amen. May 25th, 1977. Anybody know what that date means? It was the first day showing of the first Star Wars movie ever. And I was there. (laughs) The opening scene is one I will never 
forget. I've never forgotten it, and it's indelibly imprinted on my mind. Watching, I was a 22-year-old, I suddenly reverted to a 10-year-old as I watched this Imperial Star Cruiser Destroyer begin to fill the screen and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and the Dolby sound is shaking the room and I am this this 10 year old enjoying the moment that I am in the stars and I am a part of Star Wars and that full screen even as I still watch that movie today it still amazes me when I see that opening scene well way back when back in the 70s when there were these things called cameras, which if you are 40 and younger, you probably have no idea what a real camera is. You've probably seen them in antique stores. Kodak was a camera company, and they used to have a commercial, and they would call it a Kodak moment, when a picture would be taken and you'd remember that Kodak moment. And I can see everybody who is around 50 and older smiling at this very moment, while the rest of you have blank stares on your face, because you have no idea what a real camera is. You think it's a phone, and it is not. Real camera is something you point and click and shoot and... Come on. (laughs) In John's account of Jesus entering Jerusalem during the final week of his life, it is a Kodak moment. It is one of the most significant moments in all the Gospels. And it's why it appears in all four Gospels. And it is, in John's mind, a Kodak moment that is indelibly imprinted on his mind. It is Jesus' third and final entry into Jerusalem. And I believe the one reason that this moment is so captured in John's thinking is that six days later, as all of these people have been at this moment shouting out Hosanna and honoring Jesus, six days later, that same crowd is shouting out, crucify him. And the scene has remarkably and tragically changed. Instead of waving palm branches and laying their coats on the ground in Jesus' honor, They want to see him killed. Now much has changed in the past year since the previous Passover from where we read in John 6 where Jesus actually did not enter Jerusalem at that Passover. Jesus in John 6 had just fed 5,000 and and John records in John 6 14 when the people saw the sign he had done the feeding of the 5,000 they said this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus had just done this miraculous sign in John 6. He had fed 5,000. And the crowds were so awed by this miracle that John records that they wanted to by force make Jesus king. And Jesus, knowing 
that that was wrong and that this was not his time, withdrew by himself to a mountain. Well, it was not his time to be king then. But a year later, at the next Passover, Jesus enters Jerusalem knowing it is his time to be identified as king. And that's what this story is about. Verse 12, this is quite a momentous day for them because it is the Passover. There, the estimate was that there were well over 2 million people entering Jerusalem at this time, congregating in Jerusalem for the most important event, feast that there is, which is the Passover. And Jesus, having been in Bethany, having been at this Dinner in honor of him just a day before makes his way to Jerusalem. It's only about a two-mile walk. And the news around Jerusalem is Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. The next day in verse 12, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now, you got to understand that that's, that's really stirring people up because as we read in 1157 last week, actually 56, they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Because the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so they could arrest Jesus. So they're stirred up just a couple of days earlier, is Jesus even going to come because the arrest order is out for him? And now in verse 12, there's this large crowd and large doesn't even begin to describe the size of that group. They they heard that Jesus was coming. Fully aware that the cross awaits him, Jesus is not deterred and he makes his way to Jerusalem. He is intent on obeying the Father. And in verse 13, it is what we would call Palm Sunday. So they took the branches, they took branches of palm trees, and palm trees were prolific and are prolific in Israel, in the Jerusalem area. So they took the branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. The crowd honors him as such. They do honor him. They, they do get that he is king, but, but they honor him for the wrong reasons. Now, Jesus doesn't dissuade them from honoring him as king because he knows that is correct. But it turns out that he is different from the kind of king they are hoping for. Here is My proposition today, and for for those who desire a title for the message, it is the triumphal entry. Simple title. For those who desire and do need a proposition, it's simply this. How we understand Christ's kingship will determine how we follow him. How we understand Christ's kingship will determine how we follow him. Three points this morning. Because the crowds did not understand the kind of king Jesus was. He was a different kind of king, number one, who did not act like other kings. 
He was a different kind of king. Secondly, he was a disappointing king who did not fulfill their expectations. And thirdly, he was more than a king. He was a different kind of king because he didn't act like other kings. He was a disappointing king because he did not fulfill their expectations. And thirdly, he was more than a king. Let's look at the first. He was a different kind of king. Verses 13 again. So they took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, 200 years before, before Christ, before Jesus enters Jerusalem, 200 years before, waving leafy palm branches from the many palm trees in Israel was a nationalistic symbol. It was a patriotic act, similar to us waving the flag on July 4th. And prior to, to, this, to this feast, we had talked about just a, a few chapters earlier in, in chapter 10, the Feast of Dedication, where Judas Maccabeus had routed the Syrian army that had come in and desecrated the temple. And he and his brothers had routed the Syrian army and, and driven them out of Jerusalem. And the Feast of Dedication is about that. And when they, the, the, the brothers, uh, Simon Maccabeus and Judas Maccabeus, when they entered Jerusalem, they were hailed as conquering heroes, conquering warriors. And, and palm branches were waved before him and coats were thrown on the ground before him. It was their way of honoring this hero, these heroes who had saved them from, from the, the, those who had oppressed them. That's what's behind in John's thinking. Similar just as we waved the flag at the Battle of Bunker Hill before the Tories, even though it was a tattered flag. It was a, a wave of defiance. It was a wave of patriotism and, and national hope, a, a symbol of courage. And the reason that these folks are waving palm branches before Jesus, the reason that they see him as a king is because the kind of king they're waiting for is one of patriotism and nationalistic hope. They wanted and thought they needed a king who would conquer their most hated enemy, the Romans. They wanted a liberator. They wanted to be freed from the tyranny of Rome. They wanted a warrior. They wanted a political giant who would, who would change their fortunes. And so they shout Hosanna, which literally means give salvation now. It is a prophetic shouting by the people that have no idea what it really means for them. In their minds, the salvation they want is from Roman oppression. To the astonishment and to the confusion of these great crowds as they honor Jesus, he doesn't arrive as a conquering king as one would expect. He arrives very differently. It was so different than what they expected. 
A conquering king would not come riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. A conquering king would come riding into Jerusalem on a steed, on a war horse, on a symbol of power. And Jesus comes on a donkey. And their thinking is, if this Jesus is our messianic hope, if if he is our deliverer, something is terribly wrong. And the huge crowd does seriously misunderstand Jesus' kingship at this moment. The kind of king they wanted is not the kind of king they needed. It's not the kind of king we need. With a crowd of thousands watching Jesus and they're shouting, they're honoring him, they're waving palm branches. If you'll notice that he comes into Jerusalem, they take palm branches, and then he jumps on a donkey. In a crowd that large, it would be hard for him to get their attention. But he does get their attention with a word picture. He says, I'm not the kind of king you think I am. In Zechariah 9.9, which is being quoted here, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming. There is more than just those words. You, you want to look at the context of, of that passage. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus was displaying humility at this moment. The the crowds wanted a warrior king. They wanted a conquering king. They wanted him on a war horse, on a steed. And he comes humbly on a donkey. That is a different kind of king. And he, at this very moment, is redefining their view of him. I am a king, he says, and I do bring freedom, is what he's communicating, but not as you suppose. You see, the crowd did not understand. In Matthew 21, as we read of this account in Matthew, the crowds are saying, after seeing this, they say, who is this? In other words, they're they're confused. This is not who we expected. He's not like other kings. But not only do the crowds misunderstand him, the the Jewish leaders don't understand. All they know is the world has gone after them and he's going to upset all we have in place. He's He's going to change. If he is this king, he's going to change our whole system of life and the relations that we have with the Romans. The verse, verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. So the crowd was bearing witness about who Jesus is and that is disquieting to these men. And at the end of verse 19, so the Pharisees said to one another, see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. They don't see him as a humble king. They see him as a threat. 
They see him as a threat to their kingdom. And they want him put to death. They don't want their way of life changed. But not only do the crowds not understand and the Jewish leaders not understand, even his disciples don't understand. The disciples that have been with him, that have followed him, that have listened to him, that have, that have sat under his teaching for a number of years now, those disciples, verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first. <laughs> it was only after Jesus was resurrected and glorified did his disciples get it. They didn't understand his remark in John 2 about tearing down the temple and building it back up again in three days. And in a similar way, they don't understand his coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. Because they still don't understand the different kind of king that he is. Yeah, he was a different king for sure. Secondly, He was a disappointing king who did not fulfill their expectations. Prior to my mom passing away, one of the joys of Thanksgiving was that my mom was an amazing cook. And for many, many years, one of her staples at Thanksgiving was apple pie, homemade apple pie. And I, I just, I always, I still remember her, her apple pie to this day. But my mom never used a recipe, ever. She, she didn't use recipes for anything. She just did it from memory. But as she got into her late 70s and early 80s, her apple pie began to change. And I'll remember the last Thanksgiving with great anticipation as I took a bite into that apple pie, I thought, this is an alien pie. Mom, what did you do? I didn't do anything. Mom, you did. What did you do? And, and for her, the life of her, she had no idea. It was just the same way she had always made apple pie. And so I ate it with great disappointment. And I ate it with a smile on my face and I ate it and threw a part of it away in the trash because I'm thinking, mom, this is not your apple pie. And I came later to find out she decided to start putting ginger in her apple pie, which made no sense to me, but it was my mom and you love your mom. And, and yet I remember that disappointment waiting for that taste. These people, these crowds, these people that had just been with him. Look at verse 17 again. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The, verse 12, the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming. There was this excitement. There was this anticipation. And now there is this significant disappointment because he did not come. Not only he was different, he was disappointing because he didn't come as they anticipated and he didn't come for the reasons they desired. He doesn't do what they expect. 
again, shouting Hosanna. It was, a, it was coming from a nationalistic song, Psalm 118, similar to our national anthem. Psalm 118 is a nationalistic song. And it is that shout of Hosanna that, that they are crying out about bring salvation now. That is what they're hoping for. The crowd assumes that Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead was this messianic, powerful king who would conquer Rome, who would conquer all their enemies. And they have suffered greatly under these enemies. And so Jesus was going to take them out. That's why he's here. And imagine their disappointment. To ride in on a donkey is not a warlike person. How disappointing that sight must have been. How disappointing it must have been to think our salvation is here. But it wasn't the salvation that they were hoping for. Many were disappointed in Jesus. And we learn about their displeasure later on in John's gospel. As they look at Jesus on the cross and they think he can't even take him down, himself down from the cross. How could he deliver us? He came riding on a donkey as a hum- humble king. And he came telling the people, fear not, because he came as a gentle king to bring peace as the prince of peace. But that's not what the crowd wanted. See, Jesus came to defeat sin and Satan, not the Roman government. He came because of his father's love and his desire to rescue humanity from the ravages of sin. Luke 19, 41 shows us Jesus' heart prior as he enters Jerusalem, just before he comes in Luke's account of the triumphal entry. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon one another because you did not know the time of your visitation. They missed why Jesus came. And he prophesies what eventually will happen in 70 AD when Jerusalem will be destroyed, when the temple will be ravaged. Jesus wept over these people. Jesus loved these people. He came as a humble king to rescue them from their sin, from the slavery of their sin, not the slavery of Rome. And they missed it. They missed it. They were disappointed. They had high but wrong expectations for what Jesus would do for them. And you know what? We're not immune to that. We can be tempted to want in Jesus a deliverer from our troubles, 
from our circumstances. Skip Ryan in his commentary says this, what are your expectations of Jesus? What do you want out of him? Do you want him to fix your marriage? Good. He might just do that. But the only way he will fix your marriage is if you submit your marriage to him. Do you want him to bless you financially because you're in deep difficulty? Well, he might or might not do that because he has larger ends in mind for your life. You cannot manipulate this king of glory. You cannot make him do what you want him to do any more than you can make him the king or the lamb. We cannot demand that Jesus be the kind of king we want. We must want him for the king he is. Jesus is our king. And he is our sovereign Lord who rules over all of our circumstances and all of our trials and all of our troubles. But he is never a servant to our agenda. He is never a servant to our agenda. And that often disappoints us. That often troubles us. Although he was not the king they expected, he was the king they needed. And he's the king that we need. Yeah, he does care for your marriage. Yes, he does care for your finances. Yes, he does care for all of the trials that you are facing in life. He cares for the suffering that you are experiencing. And he is the sovereign one who is Lord over all those things. But how often do we become disappointed when the things that are troubling us don't change. They seem to last forever. And we, we lose a sense of hope and endurance because somehow Jesus has let us down. And we are disappointed in this king. But he does not serve our agenda. He serves his agenda. And his agenda is the one that serves you best. He was a different king. To many, he was a disappointing king. But he's also more than a king. Jesus was confusing to his disciples. It wasn't until after his resurrection, as we read in verse 16, that they remembered these things written about him and understood these things. After he had risen from the dead, after he was glorified, they, they get it. They begin to understand all the things said about him. And, and we'll actually learn about that in John 14 because that's where Jesus talks about giving us the Holy Spirit, sending the Holy Spirit who will teach us all things and cause us to remember all things that he has said that we might understand more who he is. But he's confusing to these people. He's confusing to his disciples most troubling is they do not understand what is about to happen in just a few days because they don't quite fully yet understand why he's come. 
They don't understand that, yes, he is king, but he's more than a king. Now, imagine the scene as Jesus enters Jerusalem. He gets off the donkey and, and the other synoptic, the synoptic gospels, the other gospels tell us he makes his way to the temple. Now, there are crowds here, great crowds. We're talking over two million people. And it is the Passover. And along with two million people are hundreds of thousands of sheep being herded into Jerusalem because it is the Passover. And what do you do at the Passover? You sacrifice lambs and you feast on lambs. Do you see the irony of the king walking in among the lambs? The Lamb of God walking in among the lambs. He's more than king. He's more than king. Jesus entered Jerusalem as a king, but he will soon exit Jerusalem as the Lamb. Skip Ryan again says this, the triumph of the story is actually not in the grand entry, but in the grand exit. The only crown he receives is the crown of thorns stuck maliciously on his head. Oh, the triumph of the story is not Jesus' grand entrance into Jerusalem. It's his grand exit from Jerusalem as he bears the cross upon his shoulders as he leaves Jerusalem as the Lamb of God about to be slain for the sins of humanity. But the story doesn't end with Jesus as a sacrificial lamb. After his resurrection, he left the world again as the King of glory. What a wonderful rhythm to that. He enters as king, he leaves as lamb, and then he leaves the world as king again. He is the king who is the eternal lamb. And behind his triumphal entry as king and his necessary exit as the lamb of God, he still remains king today. And he is your king. And he is my king. I love it. He enters his king. He exits his lamb. And he rules again as king. That's our savior. He's more than a king. The application two things. Number one, you will only revere him as king. You will only revere him as king when you've honored and revered him as the lamb slain for you. In other words, you must put your faith in Christ if you're ever to honor him as king. Christ has come. He came to be the Lamb of God. He came to be slain for the sins of the world. He came that those who would put their faith in him might have life and have it more abundantly. He came that those who would believe in him 
would be rescued from the dominion of sin, from the slavery of sin, from the judgment and wrath of God. He came that those who would believe in him might be rescued from an eternity in hell. He came that you might have eternal life, but you must revere him as the slain lamb of God if you're to revere him as king. And if you have not done that, if you are not assured that you have come to put your faith in Christ, let me appeal to you to do that. To recognize and not be unwise and ignorant like the crowds in Jerusalem, but to see him today as more than a king, but as the Lamb of God who will take away your sins if you trust in him, who will rescue you, who will be your deliverer, who will be your conqueror, who will be your savior. Secondly, you will only honor and revere him as king when you let him rule your life as he intends, not as you intend. As he intends, not as you intend. Life doesn't go as we hope it will go on many days. When my first grandchild, Kate, was born, I just, I remember the, the day we found out that Anne was pregnant with Kate. It was our 28th wedding anniversary. We were sitting at home, and Dave and Anne showed up at the door, and they gave us our anniversary gift. And we opened it up, and there were two pacifiers in the, in the gift, which immediately as dull as I can be, I got it. <laughs> You're going to have a baby. And then Kate was born, and we just loved having this first grandchild. And I remember she was probably about 15 months, 16 months old, and she was starting to say words, and she said gramps for the first time. And then at 18 months... She started having as many as 30 seizures a day and hasn't spoken since that time. And she lives in an autistic world where she doesn't speak. She's aware of what's around her. Don't cry, honey. It was not my expectation. It was not Marilyn's. And it certainly wasn't David and Anne's expectation. It wasn't the world that they intended it should be for a child. Attempting to make Jesus into a king we want is an attempt to usurp his sovereign authority. It is an attempt to be God like Adam and Eve who thought they could be God. Does God know best or do you know best? Are you disappointed with him because he's not met your expectations? 
Were David and Anne disappointed? Absolutely. Were Marilyn and I disappointed? Absolutely. But he is the sovereign king. And he is the one who rules and reigns wisely and lovingly with goodness. And he intended for Kate to be as Kate is in the mystery of his sovereign will. And I cannot explain it. And at times it does not comfort me. But he is king. And my choice is to follow him as he wills, not as I will. He is a wise king who knows what is best. The king we need is sovereign. He's sovereign over sin. He's sovereign over Satan. He's sovereign over suffering. He is sovereign over death. He is the king who will care for us. Do you remember John 10 and the good shepherd we studied just a few weeks back? He is the shepherd who cares for his sheep. He is the shepherd who protects his sheep. He is the shepherd who provides for his sheep. He is the shepherd who says, I came to give you life. Abundant life. We are simply called to obey his voice, submit to him, and follow his kingly rule and reign. David and Anne's hopes and expectations for Kate have certainly not been realized. But If you met my son and his wife, you would be amazed as we are. Not only do they express peace with God, but they express joy. Because they've come to trust who he is and his love for them. And God, he loves you. And he cares for you. And he rules over you. And he says to you, fear not. What trials and troubles you face in your troubled marriage, fear not. With your troubled children, fear not. In your troubled finances, fear not. In Revelation 1, John who has known Jesus, John who once laid his head on Jesus' shoulder, encounters Jesus in a vision as an old man. And when he sees the risen Lord, when he sees Jesus in all his kingly array, in all his beauty and majesty, he doesn't lay his head on Jesus' shoulder. He falls at his feet. And Jesus, as a loving shepherd, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, fear not. What more kind and gentle and gracious act could there be for the king of all glory to lay his hand on John. 
and say, fear not. And he is doing that for you as well. He has laid his hand upon you and he is saying, fear not. Fear not. Let's pray. Father, I do pray for every soul in this room who has struggled or is struggling that they would experience, they would feel, they would sense your kind and gentle and humble hand being laid upon their shoulder and that they would hear you speak to them, fear not, I am with you. I am with you always to the end of the age. Lord, may everyone in this room today be encouraged by you, the good shepherd who loves them. In Jesus' name, amen.